When I when I see Timothy Chalamet, I just think I want that twink obliterated. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today is going to be part two of our conversation with Yandere's friend Kenny about just being gay, being queer in the South. Um, and we hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation. So we'll just jump into it. Also, what if I don't want your shitty ass, smoggy ass New York City? I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. De- a strong part of DeAndre's personal brand is he hates New York City. That's true. That's true. Anyone that knows me knows that. Um, I hate it. I hate it. Can't stand in there. I will say that I went to New York City this summer with a couple mm-hmm. of my boys, the train boys. Um, Shrey. The what boys? The train boys. Oh, I thought for sure you said the tran boys. Oh, Jesus. And I was, I was like, not us having a conversation for an hour about queerness and you being like, anyway, the trans. <laughs> I was like, whoa. No, Shrey is a train boy. He's been oft featured on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and our other friend, James, we went to New York City. And I will say I had a blast. And and it's because I finally figured out how to do New York City in the way that works for me. Right. Like anyone that knows me knows I hate walking i don't i don't want to walk around all day right like like my i my worst nightmare is when we, when i go to a new city and someone's like let's just walk around <laughs> what do you mean let's just walk around where are we going right like what yeah i just what need end? to know i just need to know and i think this is a fair request i need to know what's coming right i need to know how long i need to be walking i need to know like where we're going this whole like exploring around a city, walking around. Let's be spontaneous. Right. Mm-hmm. And even and yeah. even if you put me on a bike, that's cool. I'll bike wherever. I can bike for as long sure. as what I, as long as I need to go. But walking hurts my body. It's unpleasant. How <laughs> long is this going to be happening? Whatever. Right. Anyways. Maybe I like I, I need I need objectives. I need purpose. Right. <laughs> like I, I'm 28 years old and my time is valuable. Exactly. Right. So <laughs> so well, we went to New York City and this specific group of people, like there was there there was there was not the completely absent of this pressure of feeling we needed to like see the city right mm. we went to the east village in new york city spent 95 percent of our time in the east village in new york city went to the same bar every night became friends with those bartenders mm-hmm. right like got free drinks there and like if we were, spent most of our time in this four block radius and had a blast like eating food and because new york city is so dense you could spend like you could spend literally a week in like two blocks and be still be finding new shit to do right mm-hmm. so we were in the east village we stayed in the east village and i had a great time because i was like we had become friends with these like with this people at this bar that were like oh the carolina boys are back because we were there watching the the canes games the came to mm. rangers games mm-hmm. and had a blast but um on the whole i still don't like new york city but i had a good time <laughs> in that specific trip yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I really love New York City and I'm but I'm I'm a bit on a bias because every time I go there I am very fortunate to be spoiled rotten by a lot of friends that I have up there that work in nightlife hosting and queer nightlife specifically and you know mm-hmm. like I have friends that work for you know bars like Three Dollar Bill or friends that host parties for Suzanne Barsh um, and Deandre, DeAndre and I actually went to a couple of those parties when we yeah. went together uh, in 2016 and had a lovely, was it 2016? Yeah, 2016 for GovBall. Yeah. Um, and had a lovely time. And <clears throat> I had, I, that was another kind of bullet point I had written down that I wanted to talk about, which is the idea of like 
you know, it's, it's a pretty common theme in any like young queer person's life where you like escape the city that you were raised in to go find your queer tribe in an, in a big city. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, for a long time, I felt like I wanted to do that as well because the first time that I really got to go up to New York and party and be surrounded by a lot of other queer people who seemed so just free and able to not have a second thought about being visible and were actually like celebrating their visibility and being surrounded by other people who felt the same way. I was like, God, like, duh, why wouldn't I want to yeah, be here? I remember, I remember this. It so, does sound very liberal. I remember this very, very viscerally because we, that was for ball and we were like, and we left with two totally different. I was like, yeah, that was cool. I'm ready to come back home. And you were like, daddy, I, I love that. I want to move there. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. get and I get that. Those that that makes a lot of sense for why you felt that way. For sure. And I only recently has has that like kind of like lust to move to New York shifted and and only recently have, have I become more comfortable with the idea of like really nurturing my roots in the south. But the reason for that is a conversation that I had with my with my roommate Hal and um Hal is a non-binary lesbian and I've known them for Ooh, uh, over five or six years now, I guess it'll be almost six years. Um, and we had a conversation where we kind of equated, we, we, we made this visual metaphor of like, um, moving to a big, fabulous house where all your friends are having a party versus building your own house and starting your own party where, like, of course, when you see the huge house that all the fabulous people are going to and the music is lit and everything seems glittery and fantastic, you're like, duh, I want to go to that house. Um, but somebody had to build that house. Now, they may have built that house many, 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 many years ago. That house may be 100 years old. The people that built it might be dead by now. The house has maybe changed hands many times and the party has had many lives and there's been many different social scenes in that house and the interior design has changed and the music has shifted and the culture around it is different. But the house has been there for a long time. At the end of the day, somebody had to build that house. Somebody had to start throwing those parties. Somebody had to start building that social group. It didn't just come out of nowhere. And I think that... We would be fooling ourselves to say that we, too, could not build that house somewhere like the South. Mm-hmm. And I think that it it feels like a, it feels like giving up on either myself and or the people around me to say, I'm not investing in this house. I'm going to that house where it's already happening now. Yeah, I don't blame people again for wanting to go to the house where it's already happening. It's hard. It's really hard to build stuff. Right? It is. It absolutely is. But it's but it's it's not not worth your time and it's not yeah. impossible and it's it it doesn't necessarily do a great service to the other people around you that you know and love to say figure out how to build the house yourself i'm out mm-hmm. so i think that that's kind of why i have really started to feel more inclined to see what i can do on a community level here in the south or with my social group here in the south like rather than just saying I'm going, I'm going somewhere where it's already happening and I'm going to figure it out. Like I would rather create something out of what is already around us. And there is a very strong sense of like do it yourself culture in the South. Maybe you could speak to this as well, Deandre, but I think that a lot of people have that mentality of, well, um, I'm very used to working with what I got 
I'm very used to looking around and having a pretty, pretty solid understanding of like what is possible and what's not, or like if something isn't possible, what I can do to change that. Um, whereas I think in a lot of more kind of like really well-developed and ultra diverse urban areas, there's kind of already templates for everything. Yeah. There's kind of already like a, like an understood pattern of thought around what certain social groups look like or what certain neighborhoods look like or what certain parties look like. And it can be very, very hard to run against that current. But when those haven't been defined, the world's your oyster, baby. Yeah. Like the people who do that kind of community building, I feel like are often very underappreciated mm. because like it does involve like quite a lot of like, honestly, like uh, just pulling teeth, right? Mm. To often like get people to invest in something that hasn't already been proven to be successful. Absolutely. Right. And like, that's a really, really hard thing to do. And I feel like there's just a lot of people that I, you know, that are in our generation who are like, oh, like, I mean, part of the whole like theme of the show is like, we are fed up with a lot of the existing structures mm -hmm. and we kind of want to burn it down. Right. Absolutely. But like so much of that has to do with then like, what are we going to do to replace it? Yep. Right. And like that obviously is the much harder part. I think it's so easy to have conversations about how we all hate such and such structure. We want to burn it down, mm -hmm. but it's really hard to have the conversations about how we're going to like actually build something that's like robust to replace it. Right. You know? Absolutely. Because, you know, like when you talk about like building like new structures, like one person isn't a structure. Yeah. Right. You know, like, and it requires working with people you may not like. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> people people coming to the table with many different, you know, it's it, it's like trying to get all of your friends in on a potluck, except you're making one dish. Yeah. Like you're like, everybody <laughs> is going to bring one ingredient for this curry. And you're like, how do I make sure that every single person brings the right thing to the curry and that we all right. still like what the curry tastes like enough at the end of the meal that we're all satisfied and want to do this again? Because right. if I just say, hey, all my friends bring one greet, we're going to make a dish. This is going to look like a fucked up episode of Chopped. And one person's going to yep. have a really good time and everyone else is going to be like, I'm not fucking doing that again, girl. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and especially when you're working with populations that are like, you know, minorities and are vulnerable mm -hmm. or whatever, you're also working with people who have a disproportionate level of like trauma and yeah. like attachment issues and all of the shit that, mm -hmm. they're gonna have to, that they have to deal with more so than like, you know, the average, like more privileged person. Absolutely. Right? Everybody's going to have their own <laughs> idea of like what security looks like. Like my yeah. idea of what security looks like is going to be a lot different than DeAndre's or a lot different than yours. Isabel, you know, just right. based on the things that have made us feel insecure or the insecurity, whether it's housing or financial or food or like social life, like those are all going to look very different when we come to the table and say, hey, if I if there's going to be a structure that supports me, this is the support that I need. Like, right. how do we design for support for everybody? Like, that's that's a huge thing to consider but again we can't we can't just look at it and go well it's too hard and it's happening somewhere else i'm just yeah. going to go do it somewhere else then because then yeah. what happens to all the people that are still left at the table when you get up yeah totally where do they go they like they and, <laughs> and that is what a lot of people would love us to do with the south is just get up from the table and be like bye girl figure it out right exactly so yeah i mean i'm, I'm really curious about whether or not um like in your place of work, for example, mm -hmm. like if you come into a space and like say, hey, hey these are my pronouns. Like, mm -hmm. is that something that you like has been largely accepted in like the places that you frequent? 
Hmm. So uh, it's kind of an interesting question uh, because I am I'm a self-employed creative. Um, oh, okay. So I, I freelance full time. I'm a designer slash photographer slash illustrator slash, you know, you got a check. I got a talent. I make it happen. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I am very fortunate to work on a kind of one to one basis with like small businesses. Most of my clients are oh, okay. in the food and bev world. And um, I do a lot of branding and identity consultation. Um, like I just helped do a kind of art direction gig for a bakery and help them do all their logos and signage and website and social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I find that most people that I work with, um, whether it's in creative or whether it was when I, like I waited tables for eight years. Um, mm-hmm. I very rarely got flack for just presenting the way that I do. Um, yeah. I definitely get very little flack for the way that I present now in the creative world. I think it's just kind of understood that like the creative world is where queers reign supreme. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that, that just has been um, a thing. (laughs) And, um, but it's, it's funny the way that people will use kind of coded language to simultaneously celebrate you while also pointing out that, they know you're different. That you're queer. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. in a, in a meeting one time with a client um, that I, I won't name, uh, but it was, it was a bigger corporate client and they said, well, Kenny, thank you for being on the call. We always really appreciate your unique wit and candor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I like while I, I, I appreciate that because I don't think that it was disingenuous. I, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, I, I don't want to say that I would I would chalk that up entirely to like homophobia or or like just like queer oppression. But I think it is worth noting that like in professional workplaces, lots of people that identify as cisgendered and or heteronormative feel very comfortable and even kind of like encouraged to find subtle ways to point out that like we know Right. Yeah. It, to the point where it all it either feels like they are looking for brownie points, like as an ally, mm-hmm. or they are looking to ensure that they maintain like one rung up the ladder over you in yeah. some kind of invisible hierarchical power structure. Yeah. That yeah. feels that like sense. The, that feels like the there's like this like double sided coin, and on like the head, like on a, on the face side, it's it's you know an increased effort for diversity in like these in workplaces mm-hmm. and you know along with that comes like you know an effort to find people with diverse perspectives and then on the tail side is like an almost an almost un- unavoidable for these people like an almost unavoidable urge for them to acknowledge when they have brought someone with a unique perspective into the room right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know i feel like i've and it's like not I think it's just partially also just a human nature thing to notice differences and like to be attuned to like, oh, like this isn't my normal environment. So I, I right. like don't know exactly how to deal with that. Right. You know, and yep. it's like and it's like, right. well, thank you for like, you know, I've gotten a lot of like, well, thank you for bringing your perspective to this conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like obviously a well-intentioned comment. But right. especially like if we're if I'm here and we're talking about DEI stuff, you mean thank you for being black and coming to this conversation, <laughs> you, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> and like um, and, you know, like Kenny was saying, it's like not many times it's not ill intention, but it is like 
I feel like especially, especially a white guy that's been at the company for a long time, whatever company you're at, they're, they, ha- they like, they're, it's going to burst out. They need to say, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah. you're different. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, and they yeah. need to say like, they need to acknowledge that. And, and, you know, just put it on a platform for some reason. It's like, it's hard for them not to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, I think uh, the DeAndre said it very, very eloquently. Like the, it's, it's like two sides of that token where it's like, I, I want to feel like I'm invited into the room and like my experience is valued, but like yeah. there, there is a bit of like a tokenization aspect to it where it's like, did you really want like my unique opinion or did you just need to make sure that you like check the box of like, asked a black guy. Asked a gay yeah. guy, like, and uh, I, 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 I like, let's take a picture at the end of this, right? Like, you know, so that we, right? <laughs> yeah. Here's me and my gay friend. Look at his cheekbones. Ew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so again, I, I, I don't think that is entirely evil. And I, I if you had to ask, and it's hard to come up with like what is the graceful way to actually like make people feel valued in that way. Yeah. Well, right. I would, I would almost, different for everybody. Yeah. I would almost prefer. Personally, like I would prefer somebody just say, hey, I know that you're gay and I know that you have a very loose gender identity. That being that being said, like what wh- how does that impact how you see this? Yeah, I would rather you just that, that's that's me personally. Or just make it explicit. Just make it explicit yeah. because like oftentimes I feel like I've been put in in scenarios where I feel like I am being asked for my presence or input or time because of my creative background or because of something that I've accomplished recently or because of like a, you know, a fruitful and thoughtful conversation I had with somebody. And then on the tail end of that convo, I'm like, oh, you wanted to ask me because I'm gay. Yeah. And it's like, I would I would rather you just say like, hey, I know you identify as queer as a queer person through that lens. What does blank look like to you? Or how would you process blank thought? Because then it's like, okay, I can appreciate at least that you really wanted like a diverse perspective on this. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that you're being transparent about it. And I can appreciate that you are like being very direct and intentional about getting like actual diverse input on that. And that I can give you the information through the lens that you're asking for. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just being kind of like subversively tokenized. (laughs) Right, and like making it seem like it's actually about some other thing. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, but that's but that's me. Other people might feel differently about it. Like other, I know that there are lots right. of people that that feel very strongly about not having many pieces of their existence defined by their queerness or by their sexuality or by their gender orientation. Uh, sorry, right. gender identity. Um, but for me, I think that it would be kind of asinine to say that like my queerness doesn't define a lot of my life, and I think that a lot of my life has been defined by my queerness in conversation with like my being Southern, like when you, when you are constantly prompted to think about how you are other or why you are other, both from people in the South and outside of the South, it forces you to do a lot of introspection. It forces you to really get to know like yourself and how you feel about interactions. Like, like you, like you can't take a lot of interactions or a lot of your visibility for granted in the way that somebody with like infinitely more privilege does. You know, right. like yeah. when, when you are somebody who is not questioned for their identity at all, you have a template to work with. You have a default to walk through life with and you're given kind of a pass. But then you don't maybe do quite as much introspection on how you see yourself or how you want to be seen or how you move through the world. Yeah. So I, I think that when people are like, well, like, you, you know, 
you're queer, but that's not entirely who you are. I'm like, no, it is a lot of entirely who I am because it's because right. Cause I thought a lot about this. Like, <laughs> I thought a lot about this and it sparked a lot of other conversations within me and with other people. And like those, those things are very, very important to my existence. Yeah. And I think that's like one way in which it is sort of unique in terms of like the ways that you're discriminated against as a queer person versus like, say, a black person, because I do think that like a lot of the pushback against queer people is like, oh, you could choose to be some other way or you could choose to present some other way. And it's sort of like I have a friend who's like, oh, yeah, I feel like all of my queer friends are so much more like sort of introspective because you have chosen this sort of like, quote unquote, alternative route to what society is like telling you to do. Mm -hmm. And so like there and there have probably been so many people who are saying like oh like you should just choose the default thing it's so much easier sure. right and you're like oh well <laughs> actually yeah <clears throat> there's like a reason for all of this right absolutely and I, I like I like your use of the word choice there because you know there's there's obviously like a lot of the rhetoric around like the idea that like people choose to be gay which obviously we know isn't the case but I, I but I like the idea of um, like something we talk about a lot in my household is uh, queerness as a verb and not a noun. Um, as, as in like, you know, if, if, if you do identify as queer, like, what does that mean to you? How, how does that inform your investigation of your sexuality, of your relationships, of your gender identity, of your presentation? Like if, if queerness is the opposite side of the coin of like heteronormativity, like, what does that mean to you? What kind of freedom does that grant you? And I think that like, while, while not being straight or not being cisgendered is not a choice. I think that the act of investigating the richness and the layers and the depths of your orientation of your relationships and identity, that is a choice. I, I know that I know lots and lots of gay men in the South. I mean, and this, this is, this is everywhere, but this is especially in the South. There are lots of gay men who feel very, very strongly about performing like cis normative masculinity to the highest degree because they think that it will save them from subjugation. Yeah. They feel very strongly that like, oh, being gay is just what I do behind closed doors. And for all other intents and purposes, I am just a dude. And (laughs) And I'm sure there's like an element of truth to that in a lot of ways. Sure. There may, there is. Yeah, absolutely. There is. Absolutely. There is like there's, there is truth to like if you get really good at performing what the dominant culture society wants you to perform, yeah, right? Then, then you will escape a lot of persecution. Absolutely, there yeah. is. But the problem that creates is that um, it's this thing that I read in a book called um, "The Trouble with Normal," and it's this concept that um, shame runs downhill. And so, what that means is like when you are not ready to unpackage your own internal shame, you cast it on the next person further down the hill that you see as more worthy of subjugation. So like straight men might say, well, I acted a little bit feminine, but I'm not like those sissies. And they'll cast it down on gay men. And then those gay men that are also insecure about their homosexuality or their femininity, they'll say, well, I might fuck dudes, but I'm not like those weirdos and they'll cast it down onto like (laughs) black gay people or trans people or non-binary people or whoever they see as being more deserving of that shame. And it makes it infinitely worse for the rest of us who are like, I'm not, I am not willing to, or never going to be able to perform a level of acceptability that will like save me from persecution from the dominant culture. And you, you're making it worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that is something that I think is is again that is a problem with LGBTQ community 
everywhere. And it is a very like nuanced and difficult thing to unpack, but it's especially prominent in the South where masculinity is rewarded at a high, high degree. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I think that, I think that queerness can be a brave choice to, to make and to embrace in the South because you are, you're aware of like what that means and how visible it makes you in a different way. Like I, I know that I am often perceived just off the bat as masculine, but I, I experience this kind of unique like blowback sometimes where I will be kind of, I I will see it happen where I am being granted what is ostensibly male privilege by a stranger. (laughs) And then, and then as I am talking to them, it's like, it's like dissolving. It's dissolving. (laughs) You will, you will feel the tide shift and they'll go, you're not the kind of man I thought you were. And I'm like, I'm not a man at all, baby. (laughs) And do you know what's, do you know what's funny is like, I feel like I sometimes experience the reverse Mm. where it's like, it'll be like, um, (laughs) like we're, we're a sus of you because of the way out. Cause you know, I'm a black dude or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then as like, you know, as I'm speaking, right. And they like, people are, are letting their guard down because I'm quote unquote, well-spoken or whatever. Or like I'm an academic. I can feel myself getting more credence as the mm-hmm. conversation goes. Cause I'm not like mm-hmm. the, like those black people, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really it's it's crazy like to like I think the more that you become comfortable in your skin. I had an interaction with this coworker at a restaurant one time. And DeAndre, I don't know if I've told you about this. This was at um a restaurant that I shouldn't name on air. Um but this guy that I was working with, he was a relatively new coworker in this restaurant that I'd been working in for years. So, like, first of all, you're in my territory. So write right. that down. But um <laughs> but no, we got into a little tiff about the way I delivered a comment or the, or he, he had like a very like kind of like pointed critique about something that I said or did that was entirely unwarranted and unnecessary. But what I remember is him saying, well, don't you want to be respected as a man? And I remember looking at him and going, there is nothing I care less about than being respected as a man. <laughs> and, 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 and he was kind of like, well, and I said, let me break it down for you. I said, I could be the most tobacco chewingist, truck drivingist, weight liftingist, football throwingist <laughs> man that the South has ever seen. And I said, and the minute that they think or even like ascertain the thought that I would put a dick in my mouth, I lose all. All of that privilege. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And he was like, well, it's not. I was like, it is that simple. It is that simple. Because and and, and as a matter of fact, I think it makes the blowback even worse because then people feel like they've been deceived. Yeah. They're like, ah, there's a traitor in our midst. You go, you almost got me. You almost got me. I didn't get you anything. You made a bunch of assumptions about my identity and now you feel embarrassed or ashamed or stupid for having made all those assumptions that had been wrong. I didn't say shit. You projected a bunch of assumptions onto me. And now that I don't fit that narrative, you're upset and you need somebody to answer for your shame. And I'm right here in front of you. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting thing to, the, the more comfortable you are and the more aware of how you present 
the more you can see it happen and you're like, hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, have either of you like heard of or read about this, um, the, this like paper by Okun? I remember these co-authors, but it's like the characteristics of white supremacy culture. And one of them is is right to comfort. And I think a lot of people tend to misread this paper a lot because they're so broad, like they're things like right to comfort. But like they have this notion that like comfort in the workplace specifically is what they're talking about is zero sum. Right. Mm. Like, you know, the fact that if you have like, you know, new person coming into a you know existing culture mm-hmm. and they're very different, like either they can feel uncomfortable or everyone else can sort of feel uncomfortable. And you're trying to fight that sort of zero sumness of the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Right. And being like, oh, like, you know, we're going to try to either make this person conform so that we're more comfortable or we can accept some of that discomfort. Right. And Mm -hmm. accept who this person is and like get rid of some of those assumptions, because like we all do have that desire. Right. To be comfortable. Absolutely. Right. And it's sort of just like who is then going to have to sort of take the, you know, take the burden of the discomfort when you're having different groups of people start starting to like mix with each other in ways that like you know yeah you were like I, I felt very comfortable in my assumptions about the people around me and I think this often happens with like older generations of people mm-hmm. right encountering like oh like all of Gen Z is queer now like what's happening you know mm-hmm. and like trying to and I think that's where a lot of this like fear comes from with a lot of these like laws that you know like don't say gay and like stuff like that we're like oh they must be sexual predators or whatever right like it's just like you're now entering into a world where you like thought that you sort of understood things and had a grasp on things then suddenly people are being like no your assumptions are wrong yep you know (laughs) yeah i wrote that i wrote down that phrase zero sum comfort because i really really like that and i think that that holds a ton of weight especially like through the lens of like queerness in the South where, where I think that maybe like the one nuance I would add to that is that people either will, they try to get comfortable with you. They try to make you like fit into the space, or I would say they find a role to cast you in that kind of neutralizes you. Mm-hmm. Like, because now with like a lot of like with, with queer media and like queer people being more visible in media, like that, like that visibility increasing, there's a lot of new archetypes that people can kind of, cast queer people into and go oh yeah you're just like that guy from queer eye i love jonathan van ness you know <laughs> yeah they're like uh you're you're a non-binary with long hair and and i just i would love to kiki with you sis and you're like what the <laughs> fuck did you just say yeah like it's so it's like it, it i think it's a form of and maybe that does fall under the under the umbrella of people getting comfortable with you, but it's like a, it, it's a. I think that there's a way that we will like kind of neutralize people's existences by taking a, like a, a a a famous person or a role or a character trope that we're very comfortable with and projecting yeah. it onto that person. Yeah, and it, it becomes a way of being more comfortable with that because then you don't have to think that hard about it. And again, that's not yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does also. Right, it's a very logical way to try to approach this issue. Yeah, right. But it, but it <laughs> it also does then strip a lot of nuance of interaction 
out. It's of, very essentializing. Yes. Like, oh, okay, this is how gay people are, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I'm sure, for example, when you were talking about like, oh, I'd prefer if someone was just like, you know, explicit about saying like, oh, you're gay. I want your perspective because I'm sure like a different gay person would be like, uh, this is homophobic. Sure, like, yeah. Right? And so like just even this notion that you can tokenize and say, okay, well, we have this one representative of this group, mm-hmm. therefore we're good, yep. right? Because like, for example, when you were at the very beginning when you were like, oh, I prefer to use the term queer, mm-hmm. like I have started working, I, I work in, you know, end of life care mm-hmm. and I'm trying to do trainings for like funeral homes and funeral directors on like how to be more sort of like queer and like generally LGBT like literate. Mm-hmm. And there's this group that um, that kind of works in this space called SAGE. I don't know if you are familiar with this group, but mm-hmm. it is like you know, just a a group for like queer elders to try to like take care of them and like provide resources. And Mm. they are very much like, we don't use the word queer. Sure. Yeah. Like, right. Like we like vast majority of our members because they're older queers, like are, are still going to think that that's a slur. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. They have not reclaimed this as a term. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've absolutely, I've heard that a lot too. Like, and I don't want to, I don't want to say that they're wrong. It's like that, that that doesn't, that is an individual kind of, basis you know totally um but that that is that's a perfect example of one of those kind of like layers of nuance where everybody has their own takes on how they how they live in their queerness or their homosexuality and like when we tokenize people or kind of just cast them in a role like it 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 really it it just erases all those other people who are very different from that person despite sharing this one trait exactly yep yeah (laughs) hmm so did you have any other things that were kind of like on your list that you wanted to cover? I feel like I covered a lot of what I was really excited about. Um, I feel like and I, I'm really glad that I was able to get y'all's opinions, too, on kind of like the intersectionality of this and how like how there's a lot of kind of shared ground um, with queerness in the South or being a racial minority in the South. And I think, you know what, let's point that out real quick, where like it's also while we're talking about intersectionality, I would like to say that like it is. While I am a white gay person and DeAndre is a straight black person, it is infinitely even harder to be a black queer person in mm-hmm. the South. And I've, I've heard that many, many, many times from many of my lovely friends who are queer people of color. And it's uh, I, I, I just I don't want to wrap up a conversation about queerness in the South without also pointing out that like it like there that is an entire set of issues in and of, in and of itself. And because I'm not a person of color, I don't I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. But like that is a set of issues that absolutely is worth highlighting that like there's there's you know the 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 people that suffer most disproportionately from HIV in the south are queer people of color like the the most the most monkeypox cases right now are unfortunately in queer people of color and that is not because of reckless sexual behavior but it's because of lack of appropriate health resources it's because of the lack of appropriate community outreach one yeah. of the most difficult parts of, I think, investigating queerness in the South is that there's always this kind of, um, there is a thorn of, like, you are personally responsible for this. Like, you being here, you know how we feel about queerness. And so if something bad happens to you for your queerness, you should have seen that coming. Right. Or yes. it is somehow your personal responsibility to avoid that unfortunate thing happening to you. It's it it it, it very beca- it very quickly becomes a question of your personal responsibility over your safety versus like the community's responsibility to accept people take care and of take you. care of you, 
Right. Yeah. And so I think that something we're seeing a lot, especially with queer people of color in the South, is a huge disproportionate judgment and a huge disproportionate like lack of resources when it comes to sexual health, when it comes to housing, when it comes to just like even community outreach, like having like like social like security systems. So, yeah, um, I would love to have a more enduring conversation about that with and, and and or with somebody that knows a lot more about it than I can. It can speak to their own personal experience. But it, I would be remiss to not point that out if we're talking about queerness in the South. So. Well, Kenny, uh, it, it's been nice, and we didn't definitely just do an outro. This isn't the second outro that we're doing <laughs> in a row or anything. So Period. let's just, you know, we're just going to be authentic with it. Okay. Um, hi, I'm here on Groundhog Day. Um, <laughs> no, um, no, it's been lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. For our second outro, I'm going to ask you, um, uh, I know that you generally don't want to have sex with women but is there one woman that you would really want to have sex with or if you like had to choose one like a celebrity yeah that's a very good question off the top of my head i'm not sure and i'm not even sure that i would that i would never have sex with a woman who knows um if if i really like had to perhaps someone that you really appreciate yeah oh god i mean like women i appreciate there's like thousands right but like one like truly sexually astounding, fantastic, like otherworldly gorgeous woman. Like how do I even pick one? Um Oh god. I truly don't know. Can you ask me another question? Well, just do just do I mean is it is it an easier question for male celebrities? Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal down. Okay. <laughs> Period. But that changes every day. Like I can. Wait, Jared, do you have do you have an answer for that too? Yeah, I don't know why, but man, for me, it's John Stamos. John Stamos. Yeah, love John really? Stamos. I always thought that was a yeah. good looking dude, man. That's fair. I would also. I would ride Seth Rogen until the wheels fell off. <laughs> Seth Rogen. And I'll stand on that. Yeah, you do. Seth Rogen is your type. Absolutely. He's 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 like a little bulky. He seems very nice. Yeah, he you just love a likes, dad bod. I, lo- I, <laughs> I love a father figure. <laughs> I sure do. Well, it and just now dawned on me that dad bod is like a playoff of father figure. Period. Period. It really like just dawned on me. And he just like all he does is he like makes funny videos and smokes weed and makes pottery. That's great. Like, w- invite me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I have really the opposite taste in me. <laughs> what is, what, what are you, what, who are you feeling today, Isabel? Oh, uh, I always say Timothy Chalamet or Eddie Redmayne. I just kill for baby face. Oh, that's fair. When I, when I see Timothy Chalamet, I just think I want that twink obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be that'll be our intro soundbite. I, when I think I of Timothy Chalamet, I just think I want that. That'd be an amazing intro soundbite. You really should actually make it that for the second episode. Okay. I'm at peace with that. I'm at peace um, with that. All right. Uh, well, Kenny, uh, give us your give us your socials again. Yeah. So uh, you can find my work online at kwical.com. That's kwical.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at okkennyray. 
Um, yeah, and if you see me in public, tell me how nice I look. Say hi. Um, I don't know. Get the, mo- get the monkeypox vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, get the monkeypox vaccine. Seriously. Um, if you are in Raleigh, North Carolina, you're listening to this, Wake County Human Services will give you the monkeypox vaccine. Um, period. <laughs> Call clinic, uh, clinic E. Sick. Yeah. And as always, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, our Gmail, and our Instagram. Otherwise, bye. Bye.